0: That's that's great
1: hey so uh, welcome everybody. We are starting a um, a new series today on the book of james and I'm, I'm pleased I see a couple of names I don't know hopefully um, uh, everybody will benefit from this this is a a series on James as I was saying before I started the recording uh you know we're going to take a deep dive it's it's a good practice to maybe have a, a you know a commentary or two that you might uh, look at as we go through this study um, i've Mine's out there on Amazon, but I also suggested the one by Zane Hodges, the one by uh, Dave Anderson are good ones, uh, just to give some more, uh, you know, perspective on it. Um, but I, I want to give a little background about James, not not a lot of of just kind of getting the well, who wrote it and all that, but a little bit. And and what I really want to focus on is uh, saying something about the structure. I'm going to show an outline for the book in in a moment. And and then uh, we'll get into some of of the the text, but um, you know James is is probably written very very early, and, and and I think many people view it as the earliest New Testament epistle, and and the, there's a couple of reasons for that. It becomes apparent when you if if you just let the book speak for itself, it is addressed to Jewish believers, okay, people who were Jewish and became Christian, and and when you when you read the book of Acts, and, and of course when you read the Gospels, you 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 realize how Jewish our 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 Bible is, how Jewish our New Testament is, and and very early in church history in Acts chapter two, Acts chapter three, you know, most of the uh Christians are are Jewish. Uh, that changes later, and that's a, a lot of the reason the book of Acts is written to kind of show that that change in um in the 25 or so 20 to 25 years after the resurrection and acts the book of acts in sometime in the early 60s probably um but you know early on it's all all jewish and then later there becomes a a controversy as uh gentiles are, are coming into the church becoming christians And they have some habits some of the Jewish believers don't like. They eat uh, food that that Jewish people won't eat, things like that. And it comes to a head in Acts chapter 15. It's often called the Jerusalem Council. uh, But there is a a council put together that ends up issuing a letter that is sent out to all the churches uh, that is basically saying that, you know, Gentile Christians, don't have to keep the law. I'm just keeping that at a high level. I don't want to deep dive into this, but my point is when you read Acts 15, James, the the brother of Jesus, yeah. or we might say the half brother, he is um he's the leader in, in a lot of ways. He's he's pivotal. So James rapidly becomes a leader in, in the early church. You see um you know, James early on in the book of Acts and and then and then I don't uh, like uh, you'll see a reference to uh, uh, Peter uh, in the book of Acts, uh, telling uh, people to go and report to James. Then James is prominent in Acts 15, and, and the point being um, that that the James that, that most people would attribute as the author of this little epistle uh, is the half brother of Christ. He would have been raised in the same home. Uh, he would have traveled, and we see we see him in the Gospels in a couple of places he would have traveled with with Jesus during the earthly ministry at least on occasion and he becomes uh, you know he's not a believer we know that until uh after the resurrection, and Paul will make reference in first Corinthians fifteen to resurrected Christ, presenting himself to James. Uh, but he becomes a leader in the church very early on, and, and some have even referred to him as essentially the first bishop of Jerusalem, uh, that kind of thing. So um, he certainly, we, we could expect him to write a book like this, but the other thing that's important about that, when you read the book of James, there's no reference to any kind of a controversy with uh, Gentiles, any kind of controversy over, or, or tension, if you will, Uh, of having Jewish and Gentile uh, Christians in the same church, the kind of thing that you see uh, some of in, say, the book of Romans, which had had both. Uh, And you don't see that probably because James writes very early. And that's just kind of my point. I'm not going to try to make a lot of argument on it. But it's it's the reason James is viewed as a very early book. It, It seems, and we'll see it in the opening verses, it seems to be written to Jewish Christians, there's no interaction with the idea of there being Gentiles yet or any kind of uh, tension that there may have come through that. And and so um, it, it's common for at least uh, conservative theologians to put James in the mid-40s. Uh, Zane Hodges, in his commentary, uh, argues that it may have been even much earlier than that, maybe as early as uh, A.D. 34, 35. Um, and he's assuming that Jesus was resurrected in A.D. 33, you can't, and he's not dogmatic about it, you really can't be, um, but but as you read the first verse of this book, he says he's writing to uh, the diaspora. It may read in your translations like a verb, but the diaspora had become a term of art. Um, the Greek word's diaspora, but it's, it, we just use that same word in English, and, and it referred to uh, Jewish people who were living in gentile countries okay living outside of israel that's what the diaspora is and 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 you know and it may raise the question if james wrote his epistle really early how are there christians uh, who are jewish outside of of israel and and the answer is probably acts chapter two when you read acts chapter two a bunch of people um uh are, are clearly christians at the end of that it talks about several thousand being added to the church and uh but they don't live in jerusalem these are people who were there for the feast of pentecost who are going to go back to their home countries and and so we know that in the early church very early on you're going to have uh jewish christians in the diaspora who who are then going to form uh churches uh there and so anyway, so it makes some sense. Um any any um any question about um just kind of the authorship and, and the date? I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I think it's worth some consideration.
2: Just just on the just a comment on the etymology of the asphora uh, in Greek. The uh, through uh spiro to sow or to scatter so mm. that they were scattered throughout all of the Gentile world, and I think part of the reason for that was that they were supposed to be giving the gospel to the Gentiles in the countries where they were scattered, so there should be believers in those other countries
1: yeah and and of, and of course, the history when you you get into your old testament is is that you know the, the Israel became a divided kingdom after King um, uh, King David or King Solomon rather. And, and when it became divided, there was kind of the North that it, it, your, your old Testament will call that Israel, but it's the North or Ephraim. And then the South is Judah. Um, that Northern kingdom would, um, be large. A lot of those folks would be taken into captivity, um, in, in uh, around 722, uh, when the Assyrians had came through and then later, okay. And, in, in. um, the the 500s bc uh they would uh go into bondage the southern the judah the southern part would go into the 70 years of bondage in babylon a lot of those people never came home and 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 that that becomes an issue that's talked about in some of the prophets that even when the 70 years were over people didn't come home and the point is they had established lives elsewhere they they were the diaspora. And so, uh, but the diaspora would have to still, at least the ones who were honoring uh, their their religion would would come back to Jerusalem later uh, for the for the feast. And and so we we find them there in Acts two. But yeah, no good. It's it's and it's the English translation says in in my CSB it says dispersed abroad. It's that idea that sowing like throwing the seeds, you know, dispersed abroad. So I'm going to. Um, uh, try to share my screen and, and show you, uh, an outline that, uh, I had, uh, and hopefully you'll be able to see it. If you're at least on the video, um, I had put this, um, on the Facebook page where you can download it. So if you, you know, if you have access to the mission 119 Bible study Facebook group page, um, I, I posted it maybe, I think a week or so back, but, um, this is a long outline. I, the main reason I just want to draw your attention to it and, and it's it's something it's it's also in my little book, but uh, I just wanted you to have the, the outline because there's there's a number of keys to, to good Bible exegesis, but when you study a book, figuring out the structure of the book is is one of the most important things. And and I I can't overstate the value of coming up with your own outline of the book as you study okay. it and and uh my outline no. good bad or otherwise i i spent a lot of time on it uh it was my wrestling with the structure and and it's 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 a, it's, a, it's just a good exercise and hello, I got,
0: dear how, are how are you
2: beautiful
0: okay. so everything is good
1: yes. good.
2: good you, you might want to press yeah. mute
1: oh, Hudson yeah, let me see if I can <laughs> uh, I'm gonna figure out where that came from. Got it. OK, so so anyway, there's it's such a great exercise. I'm just saying for any book you're studying, not just just James. Um, James has proven to be a difficult book to outline. Uh, the, the hardest for me is outlining First John. I, I've been wrestling with that for the last year, I've been teaching it lately, and I'm just saying, though, that the going through that, though, going thinking through it, uh, seeing the structure, it'll open things up for you, and I'm going to show you that a lot in the book of James. When I first studied James 25 years ago, meaning I it was just, you know, starting to even read the Bible, and when I say study it, I, I was reading it, trying to make sense of it. To me, it looked like the book of Proverbs. It was just, you know, because the book of Proverbs, parts of it are very well organized, but parts of it... Just jump from one one issue to another and and it just seemed like the Book of James was kind of like that. It was just some maxims, some proverbs, and they were all mixed together and Now I have this view that it's an extraordinarily well organized letter okay and and most of our most of our bible writings uh are are very organized and 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 they they have a flow to them even a even a historical book like the Book of Acts. So if we can see that structure, it's just going to help us do good interpretation. That's my point. So uh, I, when I look at the first chapter, it has a, a prologue that I'm showing on this this outline, and the prologue is from from the first verse to to verse 18, which is more than what we'll be able to cover today. But I I wanted to say. Um, uh, the uh, someone had asked about the Facebook page. The, the Facebook page is uh, Mission One Nineteen uh, Bible Study, and I, I think you can you may be able to find it through um, through my page as well. But if if not, I'll find a link to it that I can somehow make available. Um. So so this this prologue, several books and almost all our New Testament books have some kind of prologue. They may be really short. In a book like say the Book of Jude. He starts off saying, I wanted to talk about something else, but you know, I gotta got do with these false teachers. But but um you may have a long prologue, and 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 John's gospel, for example, has has a very rich prologue which really sets the course for the book, and, and this is the key for how to interpret it. Um James has a long prologue, but I think a lot of folks struggle with why he starts where he starts. And 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 they and they don't necessarily see where the prologue continues. That that is, he's going to start by talking about the trials of life, but then it seems like he's talking about wisdom next, and that may seem unrelated. Then he talks about sort of happiness, and was that is he still talking about the same thing? So I, I want to suggest to you that the prologue is all talking about the same thing, verses one through eighteen. It's all dealing with uh, these trials that we'll, we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, and it sets the tone for the whole book. He he is primarily concerned, and it becomes obvious when you get into chapter two and three. He's concerned with immaturity uh, among these these people, and 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 he probably also knows that they uh, face various trials. And immature people, when they face trials, make messes. And 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 what he's going to do is is start in in the place that's important to him, which is them growing to maturity. And he has this understanding that people grow to maturity primarily through the trials that they face. Uh, it's not to say God isn't working in your life when, when it seems like there's no, um, immediate, uh, trial to deal with. But, but, but the, the witness of scripture seems to be that it's these trials when we, when we grow the most. And in, in those who were, were here for the study of Hebrews will remember that I, I said a lot about that in Hebrews 12, because that's what Hebrews 12 is about, how God uses uh even persecution and other difficulties in life to grow us to maturity and uh Romans 5 says the same thing First Peter chapter 1 teaches the same thing this is a common theme of of scripture and and uh and so I want you to see it um and and so we'll focus uh, as I go through the 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 prologue on this structure I'm trying to show here but uh you see how I'm I've I've tried to just uh, show the connection trials produce maturity trials produce wisdom trials produce a blessedness or a happiness uh that James will call the crown of life that's not something you receive when you go to heaven it is something you receive uh today as you come through the the trials um later on in this book we'll get into the 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 other um you know more of this structure but I do want to point out uh is is as you read through it, uh this verse, chapter one, verse twenty-one, uh, where uh James says, uh, you know, he says to uh I should have said verse 19. Uh verse 19 says, uh everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That ends up being kind of how he organizes his book. He'll he'll deal with all three of those. Uh he'll deal with what it looks like to be quick to listen, then slow to speak, then slow to anger. So just as a broad a broad brush, that kind of becomes his after his prologue, it kind of becomes his organizational uh theme. So uh with that, let me I'm gonna turn that off. Any any um uh, uh questions about uh just, just
2: organization of the book I uh- I, I like I like the outline because I think the book is written to believers to mm-hmm. exhort them on to maturity. Uh, so it's a book on sanctification. I think especially when you get to chapter two, if you try to make it about justification, you're just going to make an absolute mess because the book of James has absolutely nothing to do about justification.
1: Well, I agree with that. And that'll take some showing uh, as we walk through it. Uh, James will refer to faith and he will even refer to uh, saving, the word save or saving or salvation uh, a number of times. As we get through it, what I'll try to show you is is that while he will make the comment that his readers are believers, he has no concern about their being real Christians. That's not his, his issue. Uh, he's very concerned about how they live. He, he wants them to to live well, and to enjoy what he's going to call the crown of life. And and you made a reference something, and it's it's um, as you read through it for all of you, depending on your translation, uh, it will either say brethren, and I think it occurs some 19 times. The word is adelphos. Um, modern translations like my CSB Christian Standard Bible, uh, it puts brothers and sisters, but brothers and sisters in the Greek, it's one word. Uh, but King James says, brethren, um, not only does he repeatedly call them brethren, okay, he recognizes you know, they're, cl- they're clearly not his literal brothers and sisters. So he's using that term for people in the family, okay, in the Christian family, uh, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. He repeatedly calls them that, but also in, in chapter one, verse 18, he says that uh, of God by his own choice. He gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Um, he he is he, His view is unquestionably that he speaks to Christians. That doesn't mean a, a non-Christian could, couldn't read the book, obviously. That's not the point. Uh, but he addresses Christians about Christian struggles. He's not addressing non-Christians about how to become a Christian. And I'll, I'll show you that, but I just wanted to say, that at the beginning, because um, uh, this book uh, does, uh, you know, wh- where, and I'll show you when we get to the real debated passages, but but the reason they get debated is having a different perspective about who he's writing to and what he's trying to accomplish, and uh, uh, modern commentaries tend to not only argue that he writes to uh, a mixed group of people, and he anticipates there's a bunch of uh, people who are parading around in the churches as Christians, but they're not. Uh, but modern commentaries tend to argue that he's not even writing to Jewish people, and and um, and it, but anyway. So just just to say that, and, and and that that can color how you how you interpret. But let's look at the the intro. He he begins with the um, who he is. He says James, a servant of God. You know, our our English versions, um, I know there's some versions that say slave. Maybe the New English translation, which is the NET Bible, that one may say slaves. Uh, It should. uh, But most English versions say servants because we don't want to be slaves. And um, there's no way around it. I mean, there's a Greek word here, doulos, and it, it is slave um I'm not going to go in right now so we don't need to into to what slavery looked like in the first century that is a a good study to make uh especially as you deal with issues like Paul saying that we have adoption into the family uh because um that's a that's a related uh, concept but uh but just here understand that you know if if it were me and and I was going to write a letter to some some church and I actually grew up in Jesus's home and we had the same mother, I would say, you know, Hudson, you know, half brother of Jesus. But he doesn't say that. He says, James, slave of God and Jesus. Okay. And of course, when he says Jesus here, he says the Lord, Jesus Christ, um, Lord uh, infers deity. Christ, of course, is the Messiah. Uh, but it's just interesting that James does this, and and um, this sets the tone for the whole book because slaves do what the master wants them to do. Um, they not only hear his commands but they do them. And he'll talk later about that, not to be just a hearer only, but to be a doer. And 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 we, we you know, we're in a culture that um, even even among church uh, leaders and and um, maybe others who aren't necessarily a pastor, but you know, we have a pair of church organizations and stuff, and certain some people get kind of a national uh prominence. And and um I wonder sometimes if they really, really, really would accept their true title as a slave. Okay. So just think about that. Uh James will, will get a little more into this later, but we we see a consistent theme in the New Testament epistles that um God exalts the humble and he humbles those who exalt themselves. And in James approaches, he comes at this is a, is a mere slave of, of Christ. Um, and he writes to the 12 tribes and it looks like a verb in my translation, the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Uh, but that's a noun, as I said earlier, it's diaspora. And, and so he's telling us he's writing to Christians that are Jewish and he's telling us they're outside of Israel. They're out in the diaspora. Uh, and and he says greetings, and then he has a very packed. And this is where we spend most of our time. These these three verses, and 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 let me just say, um, you know, we we all face trials, and and I, I've been a part of so many uh, conversations that have come up, and, and usually in Bible studies, and, and and people I have found largely don't understand trials, and and they don't see. The relationship between faith, uh, trials, and spiritual uh, maturity, and and so they have this concept that that God is in control, and and He certainly is, but that seems to be their whole concept that that is that just yeah bad things happen, but you just have to trust God's in control, and 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 you should trust that God's in control. But my, what I'm saying is there's so much more. And I find often that from the Christian world view, um, this issue of, of trials and what they're for is lacking, and it may be a reflection of culture, you know, particularly in 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 countries that, you know, uh, you know that are, are financially wealthy countries. I mean, we just um, the truth is that that the idea of suffering uh, is is just contrary, it's so contrary to us. That we have a hard time making this, this connection that it is primarily the trials that God will use to grow us to maturity. And, and yes, God's in control, but those trials have a much greater significance than that. God's not only in control, he's working, okay, in our lives. And so just with, with that in mind, just, just think about what he says here. I'm going to read the three verses, but there's a lot of words we have to, we have to pick them out and, and kind of look under the, each rock here. He says to consider it a great joy, Uh, my brethren or my brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, he says, consider it a great joy uh, whenever you experience uh, various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. He brings people um, from the trial to bring to being uh, complete or mature, uh, lacking nothing, all in these three verses, and so we we need to un, unpack this a little bit, and and, um, and and that'll help. I hope you see kind of how I'm going to treat some things in the rest of the book. It's too easy uh, to make some assumptions about what things mean, and we need to look closely at them. This word considered a great joy. Now, just think about this. Uh, he he says when, not not if, when you have these trials. And he calls them diverse trials or or various trials because um, I had a professor years ago, a kind of a mentor, and, and uh, a lot of my understanding of the book of James comes from him. But he always said that life is a series of, of pop quizzes with some major exams thrown in in between. Um, you have small trials, just, just little things, little decisions you make, little things that happen that, that there's not much to them, you know, getting stuck in traffic. There's just not much to it. But, but you're going to have some big trials and you often don't see them coming. They're, they're just there. Uh, you wake up, you have no expectation of what's going to happen and it happens. Uh, James has in mind all the trials, all shapes and sizes, little, big, and everything in between. And he says, you know, they're going to happen. Like that's just, everybody knows that's common sense. They're going to happen. That's why he says, when they happen. But, but our problem is he says, consider it great joy. That's the problem. And, and this is a verb, um, hegemai, And and it is not he is not telling you something you could never do, which is that subjectively when the transmission goes out on the car, you subjectively feel, man, I'm just so happy that transmission went out on the car. I'm so pleased that I lost my job. So pleased that, you know, um, a loved one's passed. He's not saying that at all. Um, This this is uh, kind of an accounting term. And that's why. uh, the King James says, counted all joy. Um, it is, uh, it's not your feelings. It is your, uh, your uh, intellectual analysis of the facts based on something, you know, and, and if you have an understanding that God uses the trials of life, which everybody has them, it's not saying he makes them happen to you. It's just, they do, they happen. But if you have an understanding that he uses the trials of life to bring you to maturity and to bring you to a place where he'll say a little later, you enjoy the crown of life, which is going to be a greater experience of life today. Then you can look at the trials and and you're not saying, gee, I'm I'm glad that that this terrible thing happened, but you can look at the trials and, and count it joy that God is doing a work in your life and it's an intellectual assessment because you believe that God is doing a work in your life to bring you to maturity and that and that and that how you deal with the trials is a part of that learning process. OK, let me let me pause there. Is there a just a, a thought or a comment? Because um, I, I think James can be it can be very difficult to deal with this verse if we really think he's saying that it should bring you happiness, that bad things have happened to you.
0: I always thought, um, that crown of life was something you've got as a reward in eternity. So it's kind of neat that, uh, you're pointing out that this is something it's giving us greatest greater capacity for life now. Yeah. So when you go through trials and you learn something, it affects your capacity for greater happiness, greater enjoyment of life.
1: And, so that's and good. It is, and and it's the reason. Verse twelve, when we get there, we'll, we'll you know I I mentioned some of it because it's all one unit, but we'll we'll probably get there next week. But it's stated as a beatitude. James was probably there in Matthew five, but you know, and and he certainly heard Jesus teach these things, and he says it a lot of the way Jesus would have said it is a beatitude. Blessed is the one who what who endures and gets. The crown of life. And that word crown, um, that that makes us imagine a king with a crown on, that's the wrong image. Um, the it, the, the word is not a diadem, it is a Stephanos. Um I actually uh, know somebody that that that's his name. He's he's Greek. And um it, and I thought about that right when I met him I'm like, ah, uh, a Stephanos. That's that's what you know, James chapter 12, one verse 12. Um, a Stephanos, though, is is a uh, when you won a, a sporting event or, or or a race, it went on your your head as a winner. So uh, yes, someone had a question. It says a hand raised.
0: Ah uh, yes, so I was just thinking, um, narrow is the way, right? And um, hold on. So Matthew seven fourteen, for the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that mm-hmm. lead to life right which is the lebo which is afflicted or tribulation and so that's what it makes me think of it you should be have joy when you have trial or tribulation in life because you know if you're on the narrow path That you're gonna have the tribulation so you count it as joy right so like if you're not having tribulation then you're probably and you're like getting along with the world and assimilating into the world then you're probably not going to have tribulation right so that should be an alarm to you that you're not on the path
1: yeah I, I think from right from from other people and and you see this when you get into to first John um chapter three, chapter four, that that um y- you know that they hated him, they're gonna hate us also, right? And and that kind of tribulation, I agree. But what I would say though in James, he goes out of his way to to talk about all kinds of trials and in and, and, and all kinds of trials could include, of course, um being persecuted in some way, wh- whether it's physical or whether it's uh, being marginalized or whatever it may be, and in our culture that seems to be quickly becoming a, a reality. But but for like the church in China today, you know they have to do do church in hiding in homes and stuff, and and so absolutely that that is one of the kinds of trials. But we don't want to limit James to to that in that sense because. Um, everybody has trials, but trials don't have a real purpose in everybody's life. They're just a, a, a result of the fall. And, and he would say, you know, but but for a Christian, how you handle the pop quizzes and the occasional big exams, that has something to do to bring you to maturity. I hope that that makes sense. And so and I,
0: uh, I like we're being tested or proved. Our faith is being tested.
1: Yes, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to open that up a little more for us in in, in the next few minutes because I just want to get these first three three or four verses, but um be, because um tested, but there's one issue here where the translation just hurts, and I and I'll, I'll show you why. Uh, James one has an exact parallel in First Peter, and so our, our faith is being tested, but we want to understand what I mean by faith being tested. Um, it is, it is probably not that God is trying to see if we have faith. Uh, is there something else going on? And in the other part, uh, we need to talk about this word faith in a second. So let's, let's unpack a few more words and, I, and I'll try to put a, uh, put a bow on at least this, this, these this opening. It's, it's almost shocking where he starts. It really grabs you by surprise, you know, right out of the gate. Consider it joy when you have these trials. Well, he says, "When, of course, you're going to have on various trials, all shapes, sizes, and colors, uh, because now here's the this is the key. Why would you consider it joy? Because you know. I mean, look at those words. It's not because you feel. It's because you know, and that makes sense of of this verb hegemi. That it is it is a a, a term that says intellectually, objectively." You know something, and that thing that you know is something God told us, and if we believe it, it will give us a divine perspective on trials that not only tells us, yes, God's in control, but it tells us something more, because to say God's in control doesn't mean the trial's going away, okay? To say God's in control says he's working in and through the trials also, and he says you know something, say, well, what do we know? We know that the testing of our faith, and I want to stop there. Testing, um, this is a word um, uh, that that is um, it, it can mean um, both the test itself. Okay, you test to determine if something's genuine, or valuable, or precious, and it can also mean the outcome of the test. The same Greek word, it's doxominion. It uh, means the same, it means both, and, and, it, and it presents a, a translation question, and, and, a, and I'm always cautious about saying, well, something just isn't quite right, but but I want to show you something from First Peter real quick, so you'll see where I'm coming from on this, because there's two ways to read this, because you know that the testing of your faith, or because you know essentially the outcome of the test of your faith, that's, that's two different things. But but um, when we say test, uh, imagine testing something. Uh, say metal, for example. You're testing it for purity. You might boil it up. You know, get it real hot, melt it, let the impurities come to the top, filter them off the top. There's different ways you could do it. Um, you could take a, a diamond um, and, and and take it to a jeweler. You're not asking them if it's a real diamond. You know it's a real diamond. It's not a cubic zirconia. But what's the quality of it? And he will value it and he'll look under his glass at the the, the quality of the cuts and all that and and put a value on that diamond. Uh, This is a test with a a view to approval. What I'm going to suggest to you is that if you read it as the testing of your faith makes endurance. Like that's patently obviously false in in the sense in which it's stated because. The trials of life don't always produce endurance. A lot of times they produce failure because we 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 just you know, we just fail the test. We 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 crumble. We we don't look to God in faith. We don't pray about it. We get angry at God. Um trials don't always produce endurance. And and so I want to I want to show you something from 1 Peter and and he's he's the next book over from James, another Jewish epistle. And and Peter says something and and I'm just going to start at verse 5 for a little context, but it's verse 7 I'm after. Peter, in his his prologue, and his prologue goes from the beginning of the epistle through verse 9. His prologue says you're being guarded by God's power or kept by God's power through faith for a salvation that's ready, ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter's not talking about being a Christian or being justified. He's talking about the salvation that will appear when Christ returns—that's when we go into the kingdom. And and He says, "You rejoice." Uh, well, I skipped a verse. He says, "You are being, uh, you're being guarded." Uh, verse six: You rejoice in this. Okay, what that we're being kept for for the salvation that's going to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials. Like him and James are talking about the same thing. That and and he recognizes the trials could could come from persecution, uh, but he doesn't limit it to that. But he he will talk later in First Peter about uh, the blessing of suffering for Christ. Um, so that could be a, certainly a strong part of this. Then he adds verse seven, so that the proven character of your faith. See how they've translated it? It's the same language from James one, and he doesn't say testing, although that's a possible translation. It's not the one that matches the context. He says proven character. In other words, not the testing process, but the end result when when the jeweler says this is a fine quality diamond. This is 24 karat gold. This is pure whatever, right? It's the outcome of the test where the approval has been given. Those are two very different meanings that come from the same word. And here in First Peter, they've taken the latter. And so Peter connects the various trials, and he says, for a short time, you suffer. That sounds different than counting on all joy. Yeah, because you can count it all joy, and you can suffer and at the same time. But he says, so that the proven character of your faith, which is more valuable than gold and so forth, um, that word proven character, the outcome of the test, same language, the Greek word do- documinion uh is is James. And so let me let me read uh and then I'll I'll pause here. James says, uh the way I would take it, just like 1 Peter, it's the same language, what we know is that when we come through the trial, uh on the basis of living out God's word, uh, we have a proven character of our faith because God's ultimately not looking at a diamond or at gold. He's looking at something more valuable and it is our faith. And, and I, I, I uh, yes, I like that Re- refinement. I see that on the, on the chat. Um, the trials do exactly that, right? They, they refine our faith. Uh, and, and the, the end result. The end result of the trial, when you've passed the test, and we don't always pass our test. Sometimes God lets us do a do-over. But when we pass it, we have this proven character, using the way it's translated in Peter, of our faith. And let me, let me say something about faith. Faith is here is, for some reason, we we can read the word faith and add in, um, you know, believing Jesus died and rose again. Now, that's true. That's not what he's talking about faith has to have content. He's speaking to people who are already Christians. They've already dealt with their, 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 you know, their, their salvation. And, and do you trust God in his word and in his provision during your trial? That's the, that's the faith here. It's the trust in God and his provision. That's how I describe it. Um, uh, Others have done a good job of of describing it. Uh, I wrote down here from Zane Hodges uh, commentary, he calls this uh, what was it? Um, uh, I think he says quality proven faith. Let's see what he used here. I think I had the word out, but it, you know, because he he recognizes the same the same thing I'm saying. Um, he says this: we suggest this meaning or the meaning your quality proven faith, quality proven faith. See his focus as well is that this is the outcome of the trial that's been endured with faith. Uh, it's not the trial itself, okay? So I hope that makes some sense. Trials don't necessarily produce something good uh, because we may fall back on worldly wisdom and, and, and not handle them well. But when we handle them on the basis of God's word, the outcome is quality proven faith or faithfulness. And that quality proven faithfulness that's come through the trial is what produces endurance the old king James says patience that's not a good translation because patience is a different word in the Greek. this is hoopoo hupomone. hupomone is to abide under to live under and and it's it's endurance we've 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 lived faithfully even under this this um this trial, but we've, we've maintained the faith during it uh he says, let endurance have its full effect. So as one comes through the trial, the result is the proven character of their faith in God's word and his provision and his wisdom. And and it's that that produces endurance. So a Christian can look back, who's been to the rodeo more than once, even in a trial and say, you know what? God's always brought me through and and they have this endurance. They're able to bear under even these, these uh, difficult circumstances and that endurance, that hupomone in verse four it has its full effect that you may become mature and complete, lacking nothing. So um, that that's his connection between a faith. It's not faith in the gospel he has in mind, but it's more generally God's word, His provision, His wisdom. And in the verses that come next, that we won't we won't talk about today, he'll speak about wisdom. We'll deal with that then. But it's that faith, and and that that misunderstanding that faith is always you know faith in the gospel is what gets people into trouble when they get to chapter two. Um, This general faithfulness, what we saw in Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, believing what God said and living on the basis of it, that faithfulness is what will get you through the the small pop quizzes and the big exams, even in tough times, with a divine perspective, objectively, even though I'm suffering, um, God does some work through this. I may not see it right now. But I trust He does some work in me through this that I may see later, and and that that endurance that produces maturity. So let's let me. I know there's some probably some questions, uh, comments, questions.
2: Yeah, I think that's a the biblical perspective is that when we encounter those trials, that we're to look at them as designed to strengthen our faith. Right, so we see them as a the good thing, even though the circumstances may not seem good as believers, We're to look at that as a good thing because they're designed to strengthen our faith, whereas the world looks at those as horrible things. It's a totally different perspective, so from the world standpoint, when good things happen to me happen to me, that's good. when bad things happen to me, that's very bad, whereas from the Christian standpoint. When good things happen to me, it's good. When bad things happen to me, it's good. It's all good. And Job said to his wife, right, shall we accept prosperity from God, but yet not accept adversity? Because they're two sides of the same coin. And a lot of times, those times of adversity are times of much more rapid growth than the times of prosperity.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. And we'd like it not to be that way, but if you think about it, just just reflect on this this kind of logically. And if you think about um, those who who have children or even watching grandchildren too, um, you got to let them figure out some problems. It's how they learn, and it's how we learn. But what are we learning? We're learning how to apply God's word to life. We're learning how to make decisions. Uh, on the basis of God's word, for which we could use wisdom. He'll talk about that in the next few verses, uh, and 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 it's 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 that it's it's living out this faith even in trials that is both going to bring us to maturity, and 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 it's going to hone, refine, perfect. It's going to to shape that faith even 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 more. Other thoughts, uh, questions? Um, so we had this idea of God's in control, but we need to, to marry that with this idea that, that it would, it would really be a a destructive false teaching to give people the idea that as Christians, they're not going to have trials. Uh, and, and I mean, it's just, we live in a fallen world. We're going to have trials. But if we can get this perspective uh, of, of God using it, uh, my personal experience is you just don't always see it so clearly when you're in the trial. But you usually, and just think back on some of your personal trials you've had. If you there's a point usually when you can look back on it and you can go, aha now I see that like like God God did something and and um you know and and, and it changed me and even something that was was negative did something really positive. And, and I'm not saying look for the silver lining. I'm not saying that at all. Um, God brought you closer to him through a trial. That, that's what I'm, what I'm suggesting. So I hope that makes some, some sense. Um, I, I would encourage you to, to read on through verse, um, you know, the end of, of uh, 18 uh, and think of all of that. Try to think about how is it all organized as one unit of thought. It's it's he doesn't change topics and jump to wisdom and then jump to humility and then jump to you know the crown of life. Like it's all tied up as a package, and and it's 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 kind if you look close, it's kind of an inclusio in a way. Verse two talks about the trials, and verse 12 talks about the trials and and verse 2 says this is bringing you to maturity and verse 12 talks about this crown of life that we'll wrestle more with but um he has in mind that uh I think in this crown of life that we'll have a true uh, happiness uh, an inner peace a deep satisfaction uh in our relationship with with him okay
2: would you would you just once more just go over a little bit what you said about He's not expecting us to be happy in the middle of the trial. Something, you were saying something like that. Do you know what?
1: What I mean by that is is that I'm, I'm not happy a bad thing happened. If he said you need to be happy and take joy that you're suffering, that you got a bad medical diagnosis, like, you know, because subjectively, subjectively, we feel the way we feel, our feelings get shaped by our perspective, uh, but're we're, we're going to have some of those feelings and if you read the Psalms of David, um, he pulls you into his private prayer life and many of those psalms when he's on the run, his life is in danger, as it were, although he has this very strong faith that God'll see him through but but it's not that, that that he's happy he has to be on the run in that sense. I mean it'd been much better if Saul wasn't trying to kill him. Right and and yet, but you pull into his prayer life, and David becomes the very picture of this endurance he's he's talking about. And in those psalms and those prayers, you see a man who does take joy in in some sense too, not because the bad things happen, but he he sees God working. And and, and that was my 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 point. Um, I, I I couldn't do this verse. I don't think I don't think any of us could. If if it was to have some great emotional joy based on the circumstances, it's it's stepping back and saying, wait a second. This is like this like when when Paul says to the Thessalonians that we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve, but we have a divine perspective on the loss of a of a loved one. So we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We have a divine perspective on our trials. And, and we should, we should recognize God's in control, but we also need to, to say, God, what are you doing in the trials? If, if you were not uh, here for, for what I did with, with the first half of Hebrews 12, I I really recommend read Hebrews 12, but go back and uh, find the lesson where we talked about the first half, because he says in, in a much more expanded way, exactly the same thing he says uh-huh. that that we are in God's training program the king james translates it chastisement but it's the word used in in uh, paul's writing to timothy that that the word of god is is profitable for training and righteousness he uses that word training and he says you know it's not always easy it's more like a marathon life's like that he he looks at all of life every bit of it the ups and the downs all the terrain we run on is our training program to bring us to holiness and and yet he recognizes that in parts of the training uh, you may go under some severe trials even what they were going under which was persecution and and he's giving them the divine perspective they were thinking about quitting and so he his 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 whole thing throughout the book of hebrews is to endure in faithfulness even in the trials of persecution God uses that to bring you to holiness. James is saying in a much more compact way, the same thing that that to to endure in faithfulness, even in the trials is what is going to produce. um, uh, It's going to have the end result of more endurance. It's going to shape your faith and and, and it's going to, it's going to have the the proven character. It's going to display the proven character of your faith. Think about what the opposite would be. Because that's what James is going to outline in the rest of the first chapter. If you don't um, uh, face the trials on the basis of of God's word, uh, analyze your circumstances, perceive reality around you through the lens of God's word and respond accordingly, you're going to do things like falling back on worldly thinking or blaming God. It's all his fault and is exactly what James will deal with in, in the rest of the prologue is 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 living on the basis of the wrong thinking saying it's god's fault you know he did this to me he let this happen and 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 you know and as you can see it helps to see the opposite sometimes to um to get it right. yeah that's
2: he, very very helpful thank you very much
0: so like well, the thing, right or testing could it be like we're we know that we have to endure till the end. We have to overcome. And so the refiner's fire, like it takes out the dross, right? It um, straightens any crooked or perverse way in us. And so sometimes that can be uncomfortable, like as a trial, but it produces endurance. We, it shows our genuineness in faith.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's that's the idea. Just, just, just allow for the trial to be um, uh, multifaceted, right? Because we really do face trials of different sizes. Some are fairly small, but do you handle the small trial on the basis of God's word? That person cuts you off at traffic. Uh, they wave one finger out the window at you. How do you respond? God says, this is an easy one. Handle it on the basis of my word. And, and so every morning we, we 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 kind of wake up to a new day. Where, where in a sense you can say, God, you know, what do you have for me today? I, I'm going to live on the basis of God's word. If you read the end of Hebrews five, uh, he'll talk about how uh, milk is for for spiritual babies, but meat is for those who um, uh, by experience have exercised. Okay, they've you know the word of God is like a tool, and you have to exercise it and apply it to life. And and uh, he talks about that, and that's what mature people do. And and I think the trials are bringing us there. We're learning how to to rely on God's word, God's wisdom, and God's provision. We go pray to Him in time of of, of need. We 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 approach the throne of God boldly in time of need. Uh, Hebrews four, and and so it, it's it's all those things. And yes, like I like that word refining because that's that's what it does. And it's interesting in First Peter that he brings up gold uh, about, about a sort of refining our faith. So it's something more valuable even than gold that perishes. And, and that's, that, that is what it, what it does. And, and, and it, it gets us, I mean, look at the life of Abraham in Genesis. He becomes a strong man of faith in Genesis 22. But his journey to there, Abraham faces some trials. He faces a famine in the, in, in the land and, and other trials. And and it is a process. And he didn't pass all the tests. He's like us. We're going to fail some of the test. and, and God's going to say, "Okay, let's try. Let's try this again." Uh, but I hope that makes makes some sense. And you follow his life from Genesis twelve to Genesis twenty two, and he becomes this powerful God of faith who gets listed in Hebrews eleven for that faith and for his perspective on on life. He looked for the city whose builder and maker was God. Okay, all right, let me stop the recording here.